Hey everybody, it's Kendall from Recording Lounge. It is February 17th, 2015. I'm here doing a quick show with a couple of updates as well as tips for mixing and mastering for vinyl. Alright, so uh, first things first, let's talk about a couple of updates, a couple of things. Uh, One interesting story I thought I'd share before I give you my updates is uh, a friend of mine just... um, decided to open up his home studio and uh, he setting it up and asked me to help he had said uh, you know well you talk about room acoustics a lot and how your room is accurate and uh, I just wanted to see if you would wouldn't mind helping me so I said sure so I brought over my measurement mic and uh, you know blah 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 and uh, he's got some nice speakers and um, you know some decently high dollar speakers and so we set him up and first things first we just listened to some music and you know he thought "Eh, sounds okay Um, the room was totally untreated so it's been a while since I've been in a totally untreated room Um, you know for the last couple years I've been tweaking my own rooms but they've been treated Um, and so it was really interesting for me to start again from scratch and you know see a room response untreated this was probably your typical bedroom size, maybe a little larger. It was about 12 by 20, maybe. Um, the room shape was a little odd, so you could maybe assume like uh, 12, anywhere, anywhere from 12 by 10 to 12 by 20. Uh, there's sort of like some interesting walls in there. But anyway, uh, so we set up a measurement mic. We put it in the place where uh, we thought it might sound right, what, what might look right, or what you know he naturally thought you know, this is where I would like my speakers to be if possible. And, you know, we ran our sign sweeps and uh, lo and behold, we had a room response in the low end below 300 hertz, which is really the main problem area. It, I mean, it's pretty easy to treat above that, 400, 500 and above. It, it's pretty simple to treat with two inch panels or what, whatever. Um, but below 300 hertz, his response was plus minus 17 dB which is um, oddly common for rooms of that size, which I want you to try to grasp a little bit what that means, okay? So when we're talking about plus minus 17 dB, that means that our reference was, let's say, 80 dB, and we had peaks registering at, you know, 97 dB, and we had nulls registering at, you know, whatever that would be, 63. Um, Yeah, so not great, right? We're not talking about the difference in the kick seeming a little bit loud. We're talking about the difference in the kick seems either inaudible or, you know, like the low 80 hertz, for example, of a kick or or something like that seems inaudible versus it's overtaking the entire mix. So if you start thinking of, I mean, imagine making a 34 decibel change in your mix or even a 17 decibel change in your mix. That's a significant change. Okay, that's, that's, I mean, when has somebody ever asked you to turn up something by that much? My guess is never. I mean, if somebody says turn up the vocal a little bit, uh, you know, one, two, three dB, um, something like that. But it, it, when we're talking about 17 dB here, I mean, that, that's bad. So just from moving around the speakers and finding the best spot for them in the room, we were able to get it down to plus minus 10 dB, um, which is a huge difference for no money. Okay, so just moving speakers around, testing them, you know, six inches at a time, 
um, which of course takes hours upon hours. We were there for probably nine hours straight. Um, and that, and we could have gone further. I think he's tweaked with it since then. Um, but, uh, he, you know, no, that's incredible. I mean, the difference of a 34 dB span to a 20 dB span for no money whatsoever. I mean, that's huge. Um, you know, now that's a plus minus 10. Now, when you start treating, it's much easier to get plus minus 10 under control than it is to get plus minus 17 under control. And, uh, and it also depends, uh, on the type of response that you have in this particular room. And I imagine that this is similar with some of your rooms. Um, what happened was when he got the speakers in a place where he thought they, you know, felt right to him, like what looked right, what, you know, he thought would be a comfortable place for them to sit, for him to sit, blah, blah, blah. Um, the response, maybe 250 hertz and above, was pretty good. But at almost at, you know, 150, 200 hertz area, the low end just dropped, just dropped off. Okay. And when he put the speakers in the place where the low end was flattest, uh, you know, the low mids were really funky. So it's a guessing game and it's a trial and error game. Um, the nice thing about putting your speakers in the place where it was flat above 250 is if he wanted to mix with a sub, he could put that sub wherever he wanted. Now, a lot of acousticians don't believe in using crossovers on their subs. They believe that they should be used essentially as just a third speaker in the system, run full range. Now, obviously, subs don't, you know, they don't go much higher than 200 or 300 hertz. Um, sometimes they go up to maybe 400, but the idea is that they're used as support for the system. And that actually is an argument that a lot of people don't seem to get. Like some people just think mixing with a sub is a preference and, oh, well, I don't want to mix with a sub. So, but actually in many ways, mixing with a sub can sometimes salvage a room response because for example, you now have a second speaker or, you know, considering that the first set of your main monitors are going to be in a mirror image. So you have a second set, essentially, um, that you can move almost wherever. And that's great because sometimes where the speakers are the flattest, they're not necessarily in the best spot, like logistically, like, okay, no, I can't put that there because that's by a door or, you know, I can't put that there because, you know, now it's way too far away from me or whatever. Um, but that's where they measure the flattest. So in this way, you can actually put the sub in the spot where it measures the flattest and put the speakers in a spot where they measure the flattest above, you know, maybe 200, 300 hertz. And sometimes that can save your butt in terms of room response because you don't have to put the speakers in the spot, you know, because usually there's only a couple of options for you in terms of speaker placement. There's usually not that many spots that are as flat as, you know, the one or maybe two spots that are really flat. Um, in my room and in my friend's room, uh, we both experienced the same type problem, that there were two, two spots. One of them was super flat in the lows, and one of them was super flat in the, you know, mids and highs. And so, 
you know, I could put my speakers back in my super flat spot for the mids, but I don't really want to mix with a sub. I don't really need to mix with a sub. Um, and I like, I like their placement. You know, it's not annoying for me. It's totally fine in my room um, placed where they are. But for some people, it might annoy them. Um, so the moral of the story is, I mean, control room acoustics are so, so vastly important. I wish there were more standards. You know, I wish that there was some sort of standard like, you know, hey, if your room is above plus minus six, then it's not considered an accurate room for mixing. But there's no standards. Um, and I am a firm believer, and you can totally disagree with me if you want, but I'm a firm believer that, quote, learning your speakers is not the right way to go. Okay, obviously you're going to have to get used to your speakers, but when we're talking about learning something that's inaccurate, I mean, think about that for a second. Why would you want to learn anything that's inaccurate? Whether it's your speakers, your room, your whatever, okay? Why would you want to learn that? Because then you walk into another studio, let's say a better studio, and it all goes out the window. You can't work in there because you don't know. You know, you're going to teach yourself what certain things sound like, right? You're going to teach your brain what a kick drum sounds like coming through speakers at a certain volume. Uh, you know, sort of in the back of your brain, your brain is going to be remembering these things and it's going to help you make engineering decisions like, oh, that kick sounds about you know, right for the mix, what I'm going to need. It's got enough click, it's got enough thump, it's got enough boom, whatever. Um, but if you're teaching yourself those bad habits, then, you know, that's that's a bad place to be, okay? You're really going to have to relearn things. So I can't stress enough um, the importance of control room acoustics. I mean, it is it is your primary way of hearing things that are recorded, that are mixed, that need, you know, tuning, editing, that need EQ, that need compression. It's your, I mean, it is your looking glass into this entire job. So I don't really see how you can, you know, feel comfortable with working in a room that's not accurate. Um, and the, trust me, there are ways to get your small room under control, at least to a decent point. Um, my room at this point is plus minus 2.5 dB. Uh, all the way across the spectrum. And that's a huge achievement for me. And uh, I've been working on it for a long time. To, I've taken hundreds upon hundreds of measurements and spent, you know, a lot of money getting it to sound accurate. And um, I'm striving for more. I mean, I would love to get plus minus two. Why not? Um, when you start getting into this area, it starts to be a game of, you know, half dB wins and losses. You know, you move the speakers two or three inches and you gain or lose a half dB. Okay, move them back. You know, you put this trap here or this type of treatment here or this, you know, whatever. Oh, I, I, I got a little bit flatter, you know, in the 180 hertz range, uh, you know, 0.5 dB. Well, you do that, you know, 10 times over the course of a couple hours or a couple days and suddenly it's like, oh, wow, I just I just helped my room response by 4 dB both ways. I mean, it can add up really quick. Um, so you got to be patient. And uh, I've recommended them before, but I just I can't recommend them enough. GIK Acoustics, I think, is, uh, you know, one of the best companies out there for products to solve these problems in your room. I've tried a lot of different companies. Uh, Real Traps is awesome, too. They are definitely more expensive. 
Um, but their products are amazing as well. So either one of those, I mean, those are to me the top recommended ones that I could, I mean, I can't recommend them more for getting your low end under control. Um, the GIK tri traps or the soffit traps, which are just incredible. The soffits are some of the best, I mean, one of the best products out there. Uh, their monster traps are incredible. I mean, really everything that they make is, uh, is just top of the line. And, um, you know, it's not going to be, you know, some custom beautiful solution from a designer. You know, it's, they're not necessarily, acoustic panels in general are not the prettiest things in the world. But um, they sure work, you know, and they, they sure make a big difference in the response. And uh, so anyway, just thought you might like to hear that interesting story. Um, you know, it was, it was nice to see that refresher again to see, you know, wow, small rooms really do have that bad of a response when they're untreated. Plus minus 17 is not, you know, uncommon. Uh, and just moving the speakers around can have a huge difference in getting treatment to help the rest. One last note, uh, I got a question about this recently, and I I wanted to bring it up now that we're talking about acoustics, but um, somebody asked me, they were uh, they emailed me about their response. They were using RoomEQ Wizard, a uh, free program to measure their room. They were sending me some graphs and whatnot, and um, long story short, the question was, you know, what should I be looking for? Like, how do I know what I really want? And I know that seems like an odd question, but I know exactly what he was saying. Basically, let's say you're measuring at 80 decibels. It's calibrated to 80 decibels. And you look at your graph. You have to, you know, note, okay, this is 80 decibels. So what's above that is going to be a peak. What's below that is going to be a null. Okay, the, the goal is you want to get to a point where um, if it would be better to have more low-end than not enough low-end, okay? Because treating nulls is very hard. Um, it's very difficult to, to treat a null. Uh, it's, it's much, much easier to treat buildup in the lows than it is to treat nulls. Um, you know, you can't, you can't do a whole lot about a null other than find a, find an opposite spot of pressure where there's a lot of, uh, you know, of that frequency and treat there because there's probably cancellations happening. Um, but nulls are very tricky to treat. So you want to try to get to a point where your low end, if anything, your low end is maybe a little higher, um, than it should be, um, and uh, for the record, when you calibrate your meters, you should be you shouldn't be using a subwoofer si signal. Okay, you should be using something like a you know a, what they call the speaker calibration, which is filtered. Or you can also use a one kilohertz test tone when you're calibrating for level, um, because you want to really see you know give let's say given that one k is perfectly eighty decibels. How does everything else fare around 1K? Okay, so you got to make sure and calibrate and know what your center line is when you're when you're uh, doing these, because easily you could be like, oh man, I've got a huge peak at 80 and a huge null at 100. When in reality, 100 is a huge null and 80 is flat, or vice versa, 100 is flat and 80 is a huge peak. You know, so you have to know what you're dealing with. Generally speaking, um, you, you tend to find peaks and nulls right next to each other. So you'll have, you know, if, you're, if your reference level was 80 dB, you know, you'll have a 
90 dB peak and then a negative, you know, a, se- a 70 dB null, and it, it, it goes up and down and up and down around your center line, and your goal is to try to bring them closer in. So anyway, I thought that was a little interesting story. Uh, another update I would like to share is, uh, as always, I get questions about my book, and uh, so I thought I'd give you an update. Basically, um, I have found who I'm going to publish the book with in print, um, and I'm currently working on the second edition. Okay, so uh, the news with that is I'm still working on it. Um, I again, I I do the podcast in my spare time, and I do the book in my spare spare time. So I I I think I opened it up for the first time in two or three months yesterday to to tweak something. So I really don't have tons of time to work on it, unfortunately. But um. Uh, I am working on the second edition. If you have purchased the first edition in PDF at threedimensionalmixing.com, you will get the second edition for free, okay, and in PDF form. Unfortunately, I can't, basically with the way that I'm doing it, I can't secure a discount uh, on a physical copy. So if you have purchased the PDF, I can't give you a discount on the physical copy. Um... That's a shame, but I just can't. Uh, so I'm sorry about that. Uh, I wish I could. Um, it's because I'm not going through a big, big company. It's going to be you know, pretty expensive for me to print copies of the book. So I will be making very little off of each copy, which I mean is part of the nature of the beast of printing. But point being, uh, the second edition will be coming sometime this year. Uh, I know that's awful to say but again i really am doing this in my spare time i'm i'm not a full-time writer you know i'm a full-time recording engineer and uh the podcast was already is already hard enough to do um so you know getting the book out is is a really hard task for me um but i'm in the second edition i'm adding some things i'm taking away some things i'm modifying some things making some other sections more clear working with the layout just a little bit uh adding some more graphs and whatnot um and just double checking it making sure it's it's all right i've noticed a couple errors in my other book uh in my first edition minor things that you know aren't most people probably wouldn't notice but uh i, w- I just want to make sure it's perfect and so, uh, and I've also added some really cool things uh, into this second edition that uh, I I really wanted to add in the first, but um, I could never seem to really get right, or didn't really have the right way to describe, or or I just didn't know. There are some things I've learned since that time, uh, some techniques that I I'm like, hey, you know, this is a really cool technique. I, I really want to share something I've picked up. Um, so, that's the update on the book. If you want to get the current version, it's available at threedimensionalmixing.com in PDF form. Um, I'm going to wait for the EPUB version, which is what they use for, uh, you know, iTunes bookstore, Kindle bookstore for your iPad and Kindle. Um, I'm going to wait on that until the second edition as well. There's not much point in me trying to get that out. At, you know, I'm going to try to do them at the same time if possible. Um, that would be ideal where, you know, I basically release V2 PDF, uh, V2 print, V2 iTunes bookstore, V2 Kindle bookstore all at one time. That's the goal. Okay. That, it just makes the most sense to me to do that. 
Um, I believe the print version of the book, I'm not sure on the price yet. I need to crunch some numbers. Um, but it will probably be around the price of the PDF, which is $25. My guess is it'll probably be about $25 for the, you know, for the physical copy too. Um, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. I would like to, you know, not make it any more if possible. But like I said, because I'm not, you know, uh, a multi-million selling author, I it's it's hard for me to get <laughs> copies at, a, as a, at an affordable price, you know, per unit. So anyway, that's the update on the book. Um, now, on to our little quick tip today about vinyl mastering and mixing for vinyl. So I called our good friend Garrett Haynes over at Tree Lady Studios and asked um, for some of his advice. Uh, you know, what advice would he give to mixers or people mastering at home uh, if they plan on going to vinyl at some point? So he gave me some great information I'd like to relay. Uh, so I really appreciate it. Thanks, Garrett, for that. So... Um, the first thing that he mentioned is that it's hard to know exactly what, you know, the plant is going to need depending on who you go with. So it's hard to know if they will want certain things. So obviously you can check their website or check their, you know, whatever their info pamphlet or, and make sure that you can check their requirements. For example, they might want a 24 bit wave or they might want a 16 bit wave. Um, some of those places like certain level peaks, you know, no peaks over negative three dB, for example, he said is, is fairly common. Um, so the loudest peak in the entire mix is negative three or in the entire master. I mean, the entire finished product, the loudest peak is negative three dBFS, um, it kind of depends uh, it, it, on uh, certain things. Also, regarding the speed and size of the record, if you're doing a, you know, a normal record, 45 RPM, you know, etc. There's, I mean, there's different time limits based on where you're having it printed. But, um, you know, for example, you might have 22 minutes aside, or 16 minutes aside, or three to five minutes aside, based on the speed and based on the size of the record, you know, uh, whether you're doing seven inch or whatever. Um, so you need to check that out. Okay. You need to check out the time requirements of what you're about to do. You need to make, you need to do that early. Okay. Because if the record is going to be, you know, an hour long and you only have X amount of time available on each side, that you really don't want to go over, okay? You don't want to push the limits because you can start affecting the quality uh, if you really, you know, if you have 22 minutes on a side and you push 22 minutes of it, um, you know, you're going to start affecting the quality of the songs in, towards the middle uh, of the record. Um, so, you know, ideally you have 20 minutes a side or, you know, or 16 or something like that, you know, uh, you, you go less than the limit, the actual limit, if you can. So, you know, be careful with the, the actual length of the record, right? Um, another thing is that um, below 200 hertz needs to be totally in phase, which basically means it needs to be mono, right? Um, Maybe as high as 250 hertz. Now, how do you do this? Well, there's a bunch of plugins out there that can do this. It's essentially... Uh, called an, an elliptical filter, or essentially it's, an, it's a high-pass filter on the sides of a mix uh, in terms of mid-side processing. I think there's a plug-in called uh, Clean Sweep from Brainworks 
that allows you to do this. Basically, it's a high-pass filter on the sides of a mix, which means below, let's say, 250 hertz. The low end is completely mono, all right? So this is very common, and it is just sort of a requirement of vinyl um, to be able to handle the low end of a record. Another thing is that it's likely that you can't have as much low end and as much top end as a full digital master. So he said that, you know, perhaps pulling down a little low end, you know, below 200 hertz and pulling down a little top end above, you know, 510K, um, maybe 10K area, just pulling, just kind of pulling those back a little bit with some shelves, um, you know, making sure that the the low end is not too strong uh, proportionally, that the mix is not, you know, like really low end heavy. Um, you know, that's going to make a, that's going to make a big difference going a long way. Um, and it also depends on what the plant requires. You know, they might say, Hey, you need to, you know, have nothing below 50 Hertz, you know, high pass it or whatever. Um, or they might do it, etc. So you got to check those requirements, check those requirements. Um, some record plants believe that you shouldn't have anything above 18 K that that should be filtered off. Now, Garrett said that he dislikes this and hopes that, you know, people, they don't, they stop requiring this or they stop saying, you know, that, that people don't ask this of uh, mixers to do or mastering engineers. He said not all places do that, but some of them do. They don't want anything above, you know, 16, 17, 18K, um, you know, which can start to affect some of the, 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 the air in a mix. Um, another thing that he mentioned is that you have to be very careful about how pumpy and compressed the mix is. You don't want, especially, you know, in your low end, you don't want the the low end too pumpy um, you, and you don't want it too compressed at the same time. Um, you know, well, I'll put it this way. You don't want it too compressed and, and or pumpy and you also don't want it too dynamic. Okay, you don't want it so dynamic that you're having, you know, huge you know, negative, hitting the max negative three kick drum and then silence, uh, you know, you, you want to make sure that the dynamics are controlled, but not too, you know, limited. We're not talking about, you know, this, you can't just pull off a master from your CD and use it on a vinyl. Um, it, it's not going to sound that great. Okay. I mean, you could use it, but they're going to have to do some things to it, probably charge you for it from the plant. And then, uh, you know, you're going to have to get a, something that doesn't sound that good in the end. It really should be in the mix, if possible. One last tip I got from Garrett about mastering and mixing for vinyl is that you really need to make sure the sibilance is in check for your record, which basically means the area between 3K and 10K, maybe even a little higher, needs to make, you need to make sure that that is not out of control. So the sibilance on vocals... Uh, you know, the crack on snares, the sizzle on guitars, all those things need to be really controlled, if not a little subdued, um, to make sure that it doesn't start to sound awful on a vinyl. So one great way to handle this is uh, not only with EQ, but also with uh, multiband compression, um, where you can select a frequency range and it will dip those uh, that range only when it's too high. Okay, so you can kind of dip that area. It also helps the record sound a little bit warmer. Um, I've heard some weird masters done on vinyl where it almost just sounds like they took it directly from a CD and then just slapped it on a vinyl. And again, it really should be handled in the mix. Uh, I know I've said that a lot, but it really should be. 
and um, it, it, you'll just get a better product. Um, and honestly, it really should be mastered by someone who knows what they're doing in terms of vinyl. So I can recommend Tree Lady Studios for doing this. Uh, Garrett only charges 15 or $20 extra to tack on vinyl, a vinyl master to your existing master product. I mean, that is a stupid good deal, okay? So now he might ask you to do some different things in the mix. Maybe, maybe not. Um, a lot of it depends on how you mix naturally. If you mix with a lot of headroom on your master, then you'll probably be able to let the mastering engineer handle it. But if you mix with, uh, you know, very limited headroom on your master bus, then the mastering engineer might be asking you to, you know, change it in the mix, um, which, of course, you probably won't get paid for from the artist. Make sure the band is aware of mastering. Explain it to them. It's kind of a, a mystery for bands, you know, especially new bands that don't, you know, don't really understand. Um, explain mastering to them early, okay? Do do them a favor. Be be courteous and explain to them early on in the process. Hey, you know, you really should get this mastered by someone who's qualified to do it. Are you wanting to do vinyl? What what's your goal? Are you wanting to release it on iTunes? Are you wanting to, you know? just CD, all three, um, because mastering engineers will do slightly different things if mastering for MP3 versus CD versus vinyl, okay? And if you can figure that out early on, then you can tell them, okay, you know, you, you need to budget for that now, like now, and because... I mean, sure, you can, quote, master it yourself, but I, you know, I don't recommend it uh, unless you have to. Um, I, I, the more and more I've been using other people to master things I do, the more I'm just pleased with the results because it's another ear on the project. You know, they can come back with, Hey, everything's great, but this song, the vocal needs to be a little bit louder. And, you know, they can make that definitive decision for me and say, no, I, I know what it's going to sound like finished because I'm the one who's finishing it. <laughs> so I know that that song's not going to sound the same because the vocal's too quiet. Um, or the kick's too loud, or, you know, hey, the cymbals are way too washy in this. It's going to start getting really harsh when I start pushing it loud. Um, just little things like that that can really help uh, kind of help me learn as well as help them get the best master possible. So I hope this uh, little quick tip has been informative. Just wanted to give you guys an update. Uh, I'm currently working on our reverb and delay and depth show. Uh, with our song that uh, I finally got permission to use. It's going to be really, really cool. I'm really excited for you guys to hear it. I'm excited for you guys to learn a lot about reverbs and delays and how you can make excitement happen in a mix with just, you know, some different reverbs and delays that uh, really you don't have to spend money on. I mean, it's any simple plugins or combination of plugins can work to get a really cool sound. Um, but, uh, yeah, can't wait for you guys to hear that. Um, let me know if you have any questions, send me an email, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. I always appreciate the, uh, five-star reviews on iTunes, and I definitely appreciate you guys getting involved on the Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash recordinglounge. I'm trying to get a website working for, uh, the podcast. Um, I have the domain registered. But uh, it's just one of those things, you know, I mean, if I'm doing the podcast in my spare time, the book in my spare, spare time, the website is in my spare, spare, spare time. Okay, so 
it's very uh it's not necessarily the highest priority on my in you know on my plate here um but it's definitely it's definitely something i want to do eventually i'll probably just have to pay somebody to do it now that doesn't mean if you're a web designer that you should start emailing me and offering to do it unless you're offering to do it for free um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I eventually want to get a website up. Um, I am working actually with a podcast listener right now on a really cool idea that he had, uh, where you can send me a mix and through a simple little checkout procedure, you pay 20 bucks. I listen to your mix and I record myself essentially doing a mini podcast for you, giving comments and tips for your mix. Um, you know, it's like 10 minutes worth of, uh, of material that, uh, will give you, you know, I'm listening through the song and giving you my first impressions as well as then spending another five or so minute, five, 10 minutes talking about, um, ways that I think you could improve the mix, uh, improve, you know, tones, improve whatever. Okay. Uh, it's a really cool service that uh, we're still trying to find a definitive name for it, but uh, temp name for now is Mix Bureau. And I think it's a great idea where, you know, essentially at any given time, you can upload a mix, you can, you know, PayPal me 20 bucks, and I can listen to it and send you your own personalized mix notes um, for that song very quickly, okay? We're trying to work out the process where it's extremely quick. I mean... 24 48 hour return time on your mix uh, within a day or two you can get my feedback on your mix and I'll listen to it on you know my nice speakers in my room uh, on, I'll listen to it on some crappy speakers um, you know I, I want to make sure and get uh, and, and and get the real effect of uh, what you're trying to go for and I will give my honest uh, you know non sugar coated <laughs> opinions of the mix in an effort to help you get the best mix that you can. Uh, I really wish that there was something like this when I started. Um, you know, there was nothing. The you know, it, it was uh, it was really hard because I could show my mixes to people and they'd be like, "Oh yeah, sounds great." And I'm like, "But you don't know what you, you know. You don't know anything." <laughs> I mean, what you just you're just proud of me because I did something because <laughs> uh, you're a friend. You know, it was hard for me to ever get harsh and like real honest feedback that was just like no you know your kick drum is too loud that is going to be problematic or you know i think that snare drum is really wrong for the song or you know that vocal is boring sounding or it needs more compression or you know just like harsh honest criticisms that i'm not afraid to give you and you know hopefully you're not afraid to receive because I've never heard your mix before. I likely have never met you and don't know who you are. So it's like totally unbiased. It's totally fair. I'm just hearing it for the first time, giving you my first impressions in an accurate room with, you know, my ears and my experience. So that's something I'm trying to work up. I think that'll be really cool. Basically, I'm trying to phase out the blog because nobody really, not blogs are not nearly what they used to be. I mean, they're still popular, but. Most people would rather go to a website, myself included, than go to a blog. It's also much easier to have things like a members area, forums, uh, you know, a profile where you can sign in, an easier way to message me, um, a simple way to get mixed feedback, a simple way to connect with other Recording Lounge listeners, uh, and a better way for me to gauge how many people are actually listening to the show, 
um, you know, a better way for me to manage the mailing list, which again, you can sign up for, for free, recordingloungepodcast.com slash sign up. Um, so, and you know, it's a work in progress. I'll do my best, but, uh, yep. I will talk to you guys soon. Can't wait for you to hear the show on reverbs and delays. Uh, and yeah, enjoy the rest of your week.